Hello and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op board game news, reviews, and playthroughs. This week, Peter and Terrence, the cooperative card gamers, are going to tell you about a game they've been playing. Hello and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, reviews, and playthroughs. I'm Peter and today we're going to talk about the adventure book games, specifically Lord of the Rings and The Princess Bride. What's up, Mike? Hey, how's everybody doing? Take two. <laughs> yes. So for those of you who weren't here the first time, we've had some audio issues, but everything seems to be good now. So everybody live on One Stop Co-op Shop streamed, let us know. And for those of you on the podcast, you missed all of that fun. So Mike, let's talk about some things we're thankful for right now, which are our patrons. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we- uh, hold on, hold on. I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay. I think we're okay. Yeah, so I, I put them, <laughs> for disclosure, first time we did the podcast, I moved the patrons that I was thanking into the already thanked pile, and then I had to find them again. So uh, yes, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. You can go there to see exclusive videos. We have about 40 exclusive videos at this point. So a lot of content as a fun bonus and gift for you when you support us. And we need support because apparently we need to buy some new microphones. But <laughs> <laughs> a few patrons to thank this week, uh, divided one, two, three. Art Elan, John Powell, Matthew Walsh, and Nicholas Hooley. All of you, thank you so much for your support. And thanks for everyone who subscribed to our channels, who helped us uh, get nominated for the Golden Geek Podcast this year. We came up as a runner-up along with Liz Davidson's Beyond Solitaire Podcast. Amazing. And uh, congratulations to, what is it, this game This is game broken? is broken. Yep. Yeah, with- congratulations to them. They were the uh, winner this year. And yeah, you can uh, you can support us by becoming a patron, patreon.com slash one stop. You can subscribe to either of the YouTube channels. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple or elsewhere. We support all of that. Or just come join our Discord. We have a link in every video and podcast episode. You can come and talk to us. So Mike, what you been playing? I'll keep it real fast. Lords of Ragnarok, a new Awaken Realms uh, area control battling game. We had an okay competitive game, got a few rules wrong, but I've been playing it solo, have a playthrough and a review coming soon. I think uh, the solo is actually really fun. It's a nice automa that the team, along with David Turksey, designed. Does it feel different from game to game? And do all the strategies feel viable? Because the big thing about Lords of Hellas and Lords (laughs) of Ragnarok is there's multiple ways to win. You could win by defeating monsters. You could win by controlling area. You could control these very certain points. Have you experimented with that, like trying different ways? Yes. So so first of all, the nice thing is there's five leaders in the game and each has their own Atoma side. Basically, they have three strategies they can go for that will change up kind of how they play a bit throughout the game. And not just a bit, like it changes the actions they take pretty significantly. So there's some variety there. And then are they all viable? Well, you'll have to wait for my review to hear kind of the full discussion. But in short, it's one of the things I'm a little bit mixed on about the game. It does feel like basically when uh, you're getting close to like winning, it triggers Ragnarok. And then you have to win within one turn. And I feel like that happens a bit too frequently. It feels like they don't really want you to usually get like kind of the real win and they want to go to Ragnarok most of the time. And I kind of wish it would like wait a little bit longer <laughs> so that me or the Atelma could get like a different win. But that's, again, the, the full review, we'll get into it more. There's lots of good stuff. And that's like one of my maybe not so good things. And I've been playing a lot of Valor and Villainy, uh, which crowdfunded that delivered recently. I'll have a play and review of that soon, but really enjoyed it. My son liked it too, which is what I was hoping. One of the reasons I got it. I played through the entire campaign once solo already. So now I'm going to reset everything and try to do it with my family. Reset everything again. Maybe do uh, give it to you, Peter. Because it's like an unlockable game, but he can reset everything. There's no like legacy, like stickering or anything kind of elements. 
Yeah, and then a few upcoming ones. I just got the Star Wars deck builder. I've been looking through the uh, fan-made variants because it's a one-versus-one competitive game. But there's a whole bunch of solo variants on BGG, including some that are very highly rated. So I'm going to see if I like any of them. If I don't, I'll make my own. Uh, If I do, I'll do a video of one of them. But either way, I'll do a video at some point. And then I also just got an early copy of Expeditions, which is the follow-up to Scythe, or at least like it's thematically related to Scythe, although it's a very different looking game. And I'll be doing a playthrough of that next week, I think. And then there's an embargo on reviews. So I won't have a review for a while. But the rule book has me really excited. Stonemeyer games, I like some of them. I don't like some of them. But this one, fingers crossed, looks like it could be cracking. Like, looks like it could be really good. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to try that. So we're definitely going to try that this weekend. Well, as far as I go, I've still been playing a lot of Marvel Champions. Although I, I kind of disclosed a little bit to you earlier that I've been a little burnt out on it. There hasn't been a lot of new content lately. Mm-hmm. It's been at least six months, it feels like, since a big box release came out. You know, it's the X-Men, which had a lot of people excited. Didn't have me excited at first, but the gameplay on the X-Men has been excellent. But it's weird. Like, I don't do much crossing over. I want to. I say that, but I did at Con of Heroes. So that's what's got me playing a lot more. I went to a Marvel Champions-specific game convention a couple weeks ago now, and we did a podcast on it. So if you're an every week listener, you've heard that. I went to this convention, and we didn't just play Marvel Champions, but it definitely reinvigorated my love for the game, which had waned a little bit because there wasn't as many releases. I mean, the last big release I played at Gen Con last year, and it's almost Gen Con this year. That was literally the last big release, and the next big release will be Gen Con this year. So, I mean, I've been playing it every week for over two years now. I guess it's maybe even over three years at this point. Because of that, getting back into it and going to Con of Heroes really rejuvenated me, as well as I've started playing some more Lord of the Rings, which is a game that was the precursor to Marvel Champions, I feel like, in a lot of ways. A lot of the things are similar. You can only block or attack with your hero. Thwarting is very similar to questing, so there are a lot of similarities. There are some differences as well. But getting into that one has rejuvenated my love for Marvel Champions. I'm like, oh yeah, this is why Marvel Champions is better than Lord of the Rings. So while I've been enjoying my plays of Lord of the Rings, and I've played further than I ever have, I I mostly had stuck to the core box before now, but they have some pre-constructed decks, not only two in the core box, but there's four more you can buy separately, and I've really been having fun exploring those as well. And I think that's one of the things I'm realizing I love about both Marvel Champions and now about Lord of the Rings, is just exploring these pre-constructed decks. It's kind of what I love about Keyforge too. You like get this deck, it's already built for you. And maybe you don't figure it out at first. Maybe you got to play three, four, five games to figure out its shtick or whatever. And so I've really been having a lot of fun with that. And oh yeah, my son and I, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot the first time we recorded. Thankfully we had to record again because I've been playing a heck of a lot of Keyforge. Oh my gosh, that game is so great. And this newest set is probably my second favorite set of all time. And it's funny because it was like there was one set I loved and then the last set was fine. And then this set does something really neat where you have token creatures. But unlike most game where you get a token creature and it's just a 1-1 or whatever else like magic, every deck has its own token creature. So when it says put a token creature out, you just put one of your cards face down just like usual. But you have a token creature off to the side that gives you the stats for that creature. And they're unique for that deck. 
and there's actually a picture of them on the back of the deck too. So I don't know. It, it's a really uh, Keyforge continues to innovate, and I can't wait to try it against some of those solo co-op adventures that we have and see how it works with those as well. Because they've done a good job of balancing between the sets. I mean, there's some highs and lows, of course, but I don't know. That game is still great. So I'm glad Keyforge is back. I'm super excited to get back to like weekly game nights or whatever playing it um but my son and i have played many many games since we've got our decks in and we have a one-stop co-op shock deck because they let you like get a customized one and it's really good so i'm looking forward <laughs> to taking it to gen con and maybe even winning a tournament and like having its name in lights or whatever because it's quite a good deck i've enjoyed playing with it that's awesome by the way uh matthew rose said can we pick this up at gen con i think matthew you're asking about expeditions the stonemeyer one i think that's when you type that if i'm wrong let me know but yeah, I'm looking on the Stonemeyer page. I know like review copies are going out right now. And I think people will have them before me as well. Like there's already some videos up. It looks like it's fulfilling pre-orders in July. Then there will be some for sale at Gen Con. And then there will be a retail release after Gen Con. So pre-orders, I, I don't know if you can still pre-order right now, but you can get that in July if you want. I mean, <laughs> I haven't played the game yet. I'm, I'm just basing that I like it. Oh, can we pick up at Gen Con, Lord of the Rings? I'm sure you can pick Lord of the Rings up at Gen Con. That's that's out. Lord of the Ring card game? Yeah, no. So this is not a new game. This game is over 10 years old now. It's the <laughs> Lord of the Rings living card game. or The card game is what it was called. It's still called that. So they, they've re-released it. And there's a base set right now. You can buy four individual hero packs. You can buy like a, a mini two adventure thing. And that's how I recommend people buy in. Buy the core set. Buy that two adventure pack. And then if you want to buy some more hero decks, go ahead. There's two pre-cons in the base deck. And then there is two full cycles out as well beyond the original cycle. But all of this is all repackaged Lord of the Rings, the card game. But it's very similar to Marvel Champions in a lot of ways. It's a little more integrated turns where we all quest at the same time. And then we all fight our enemies at the same time. So we kind of do our player actions also kind of all at the same time. So it's much more integrated, much more simultaneous than Marvel Champions is. It's a different feeling game. But if you've played Marvel Champions enough, you will definitely feel some of the similarities there. So go check out videos. We definitely have plenty of Lord of the Rings card game videos, both on the streaming channel and on the main channel. So definitely go check it out if you have any interest in that. But it's basically instead of playing one hero, you're playing a fellowship of three heroes. But I'm sure we'll get back to that. Actually, we've never reviewed Lord of the Rings the card game, which is interesting. So maybe Terrence and I will do that if I can't get you to play enough games to, to do a good review. I mean, I played it so much. I just have to like play it once, I think, to immediately reawaken my thoughts on it. Yeah, because it's funny. Like, I I liked it a lot at first. Then I kind of soured on it. But then I played with later releases and liked it again. I tried to get you to play it, and you didn't like it very much. And then I didn't play it much, and then I called it, and now you're getting into it again. So yeah, a long, a long, uh, complicated history with Lord of the Rings card game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. It's like my third time getting into it. But the first couple times, I never really made it much past the core set because the core missions are not the best, which is why I recommend picking up that like. Oh, we we, we were playing the Hobbit campaign when I was playing with you, but I made I made your deck too strong, and I know that you like weren't really interested because we defeated the mission way too easily. Which well, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was one of those things that I am definitely excited to get back to it. But yes, so that is not a new one. But we've made these people wait long enough. I think it's time to talk about the adventure book games. And I will quickly go over the theme. One of them is themed based on The Princess Bride. And 
you are playing the Princess Bride movie, basically. Uh, the other one is based on Lord of the Rings, books and movies. More movies, I would say, than the books. And yes, you're basically playing the, the, the book and the movie. <laughs> and that's it. If you want, I can quickly go over mechanics, only because I have the quick reference card in front of me. Yeah, you go ahead. I haven't played in a bit. So each player is going to get their own turn. And you have objectives you have to beat for each chapter that are different. And you don't control any one character. You control all the characters. So at the beginning, you can move up to two spaces between the characters. So you can move two characters one space, one character two spaces. So you can move some characters. Then you do what's called the storytelling step. You have four actions that you could take during that, but you could do them in any order as much as you want. You could discard any number of cards to move the character that number of spaces. You can complete challenges, which it'll say Buttercup and Wesley need to be at the farmhouse and you need to discard a green and a red card to complete the challenge. So you'd be doing those challenges. Uh, you could play special cards, which if you think about pandemic those are the cards that like break the rules that may say draw three cards or have somebody draw one and hand two to a different player or something like that uh, skip the enemy step the plot step for the turn or whatever uh, so those are the special cards and then you can trade and this is a key one um but we'll get into it more in the the play where you trade a single card with another player so that way it's not like pandemic where you have to be on the same location anything else you just literally say hey i need a green card what would you like from my hand so after you do that it's like a lot of cooperative games at this point you're going to draw two cards from the good deck the story deck there is no bad stuff in there like pandemic uh then you draw a plot card which is the bad card these cards are just numbered one to 15 and each mission will have its own like what those cards do but it's the same deck of cards each time uh and then you're going to discard if you have six or more cards and then you're just going to keep doing this until you completed like all the quests in the mission and that is it for the theme so mike why don't you go over what we talk about our top five points and get into your first one yeah, so if you haven't uh, listened to the podcast or seen any of my reviews on uh, the YouTube channel, we're going to go over the five things that stand out the most to us. And again, this is kind of a combined review because Peter and I have played the Lord of the Rings one and the Princess Bride one. There's also a Wizard of Oz one. And I feel like they announced a fourth one, but I can't remember what it is. So we're going to talk through our five points from least important, but still important to most important. And I'll start out with my number five, which is a pro. And those are the special cards in the deck. You have these like kind of better cards that in Lord of the Rings like kind of represent more characters and items from the uh, books. Whereas in Princess Bride, it's more like funny quotes. Like, everybody move! You know, like that kind of thing. Anybody <laughs> um, want a peanut? <laughs> so the special cards, the cool thing about them is they have like a special power. Like they can be a wild or they might let you move a whole bunch of characters or like delay the plot deck draw or, or something cool. But a, a fun thing is that after you get them in a single scenario... Because this is technically a campaign game for Princess Bride. It's five in a row, I think. And for Lord of the Rings, I think it's eight. But they're very short. You can play like <laughs> three of them in an hour or an hour and a half. So when you get them, they permanently stay in the like general deck. What I would compare it to in terms of more fun, it's more fun than Pandemic Legacy. Because Pandemic Legacy, you have the events, just like in regular Pandemic, that are helpful to you. And the better you do in the campaign, the more they take away from you. <laughs> like in Pandemic Legacy Season 0, I know I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Whereas in this one, you always get cooler stuff, and these cards will keep coming back. So they're not that amazing. Their effects aren't that unique and different. But I just like the fact that your deck is kind of upgrading as you go, and that you get like cooler and cooler powers coming out more frequently. So fun, fun little mechanic for my number five. Yeah, and my number five is specific to the Lord of the Rings game, and that's why I kept it down at number five, and that is the Corruption Track. So yeah. you have these cards called the One Ring cards, and they're basically wild cards. You can use them for any color. But every time you use one for any reason or even discard it, 
you have to move up this corruption track. And every five spaces or so, you draw a card from this like corruption deck, and it does something really bad, like removes one of those story cards you've upgraded from your deck. Or it'll say, draw two cards during the plot step this turn. Or something else really bad. There's there's a bunch of different things that happen. But the other thing is, that's the loss condition for the game as well. So the more you use these one-ring cards, the more you're going to move toward the loss condition. And again, they're your wild cards. And... You have a limited hand size, and if you're not using them, they take away from your hand size. So I thought it was really interesting decision space having those. The other thing about those cards is every mission has like one ring powers that you can use them for as well. So there'll be something very powerful for that mission. But then you're, again, moving up this corruption track. I thought it was a good upgrade over anything that the Princess Bride had. The Princess Bride had wild cards, right, Mike? Yes, the the Princess Bride had wild cards, but they only came out of the special card deck that I was just talking about. There were no, like, consistent wilds like the one ring cards you have in the Lord of the Rings one. Yeah, so it made it more gamery. That little change made the decisions harder every round. And again, if you're not using those ring cards, then they're just clogging up your hand size. You can't even discard them. Because if you discard them, you take corruption as well. So I thought it was really thematically interesting, and it made the decision space a lot harder. It's almost like you have to figure out how to pass them from player to player so nobody Mm. actually has to play them during your one pass per turn. It's like uh, Old Maid or something like that. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, don't want that in my hand. No, you take it. You take it. But there's not just one. There's several of them. So uh, I I don't know. I thought it was interesting because I was very tempted always to use it for that, like, one ring power for those missions specifically. And some missions I had to use it several times. Like, there was definitely one mission specifically. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm just getting a lot of corruption this time because uh, yeah, for me, it was the Balrog. Like, oh, my gosh. I think I was, it was that was, one, too, because you had to move so far. That's a no- tough mission. I, th- I think they made that one extra balance, extra difficult, which, hey, you know, in, in the books and the movies, it was extra difficult, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, no, I actually don't think it was that one. I think it was the Helm's Deep one. Oh, okay. The first two tracks I got through, no problem. That last track, because, again, you have to move so far on this. Mm-hmm. And, again, every mission plays completely differently. You have to move so far. And then because, I guess, my first two missions were pretty easy, the plot deck that I had had, like, the high-numbered cards left, which would put three of these things out at a time. And if you ever got all six out, you lost. So if you got three mm-hmm. out one turn, you or maybe it was four, because you needed to, like, if you needed to draw one and couldn't type of a thing. But either way, it was like I always felt like, I was in danger of losing. It's like, oh gosh, one of these three cards left have a three pull in it. I can't not take care of the goblins right now. So I kept having to use the one ring to like clear off some of those uh, goblins because the the action to clear them wasn't very easy either. So anyway, that's the whole thing. Just hearing this hopefully tells you a little bit about the game. Like every mission so completely different and every play would probably be different too. Sometimes maybe you draw all those big goblin bringing in cards in the first round of that mm-hmm. mission, right? So it's going to feel different each time you play it as well. So yeah, all I've talked about is the corruption so far, but it feels like we've gotten to a lot more than that. Uh, so Mike, what is your number four point? My number four is the th- thematic integration because i don't know about you peter the whole reason i picked these games up (laughs) was because my kids have watched princess bride a lot you know and i love lord of the rings a lot so the idea of like a family-friendly game that would kind of like live through those things in a cooperative way seemed really fun to me and I, i would say it's pretty much a pro you know you don't have a lot of narrative text you're reading 
It's not a heavy game by any means, but it feels like the movie, you know, like all the important things, you know, or it feels like the book, (laughs) all the important stuff happens, you know, and all the, all the important characters show up and they have the quotes you remember and the quotes you love, you know, and the art is good. Like it's, it's, it's not movie stills. It's like art pieces done from the movie stills, but it still like looks kind of good. I don't know. It's not like Lord of the Rings, the card game or Arkham where like a, a deep story is being told, but my kids would smile when like they did something with Fezzik, you know, or when this moment would happen. And, and a lot of that comes out from like the little goals you have. So each scenario, each page of the book, you have to do like three or four things to win. And sometimes they're very linear. I'll get to that a little bit later. But it's like, oh, that's when, you know, Frodo went to the Prancing Pony or, oh, that's when Saruman and Gandalf did stuff or, oh, that's when the man in black was chasing them on the boat. So I don't know. I think it did a good job with like a family weight, a family friendly game, getting like the key things in there to trigger that nostalgia, have that like good fun hit of endorphins. I think it's pretty successful at the weight it's trying to be. I feel like they said, all right, we're going to cover this, like the Battle of Helm's Deep or whatever else. What quotes do you remember from that? Because it's like all the very memorable moments they hit really well and all the quotes just bring you right back there right so i agree with you they they do this well this isn't one of my points but yeah it's kind of in my final thoughts it's actually a major part of my final thoughts so we will get to it at the end there but my number four was your number five which is the deck upgrading and Mm -hmm. I, i agree with you it's really cool like you complete one of the missions and it's like go ahead and take one of these story cards and take it you get to put it right in your hand so you get to play with it you get to use it right away and th- which is always key, right? Like, I, I hate deck building where you don't get to use the stuff you get. <laughs> so, but the nice part, as Mike pointed out, is it stays part of your deck for the next few games. So you keep that upgrade, especially in the first one. There were these in Princess Bride, there were these stars, which weren't in Lord of the Rings, but you kind of have to go out of your way to get them. But they gave you one of these story deck upgrade cards or it lets you draw like three cards. And I, I mean, drawing three cards is kind of the boring way to use it. But, like, yeah. you know, you definitely want to, like, get a new story card to add it to your deck. And I would definitely like my kids would clearly make suboptimal choices to go get those stars when they had nothing to do with what we were trying to accomplish <laughs> at the time. My daughter's like, I'm going to go two spaces in the exact opposite direction because there's a star over there. And let's see what this card is. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, I thought that was kind of fun. And I guess each of these games does have their own unique flair. Like, the Corruption in Rings came from the Lord of the Rings game, but mm-hmm. the star tokens were there exclusively in Princess Bride. So, I I mean, I wonder if Wizard of Oz has the same thing, where it has its own, like, unique flair to it as well, something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my number four, is you get to upgrade your deck, and it's pretty cool and pretty simple all at the same time, which is great. And uh, for me, my number three is the cooperation. It's a cooperative game. You can play it solo, and it's a little bit different in the Lord of the Rings and the Princess Bride one. The Lord of the Rings one has like sort of like a dummy hand you can trade with, which you can easily just port back to the Princess Bride. It would work totally fine. But yeah, I, I said this is a mix. It's still very much like in the family weight. On the good side, you do have what Peter mentioned, which is like the trading of cards on your turn. You can trade up to one card. Which naturally leads, like, you're not supposed to show your cards, although you can if you're, like, teaching your kid for the first time or something. So you naturally have good discussion, like, hey, I can handle that quest. Ooh, can you do that one? I really need this card. Does anyone have this card? So you're going to have, like, those, you know, basic but still fun, engaging conversations between players. And on the negative side, it's one of those games, the fact that you don't own a character, that you are all cooperatively moving, like, the same characters and accomplishing the same stuff. 
there's really in many ways no difference between playing two player, playing three player, playing four player, playing solo. It's like something else like Dawn of Zeds or one of those where like you're just kind of dividing up the tasks among more players and you each have your own hand, but it doesn't like really matter. So the cooperation has its pluses or minuses, but I, I still, you know, if it's a mix, it's leaning pro because it's still fun to like talk and, and it works well again for a casual group. But yeah, you don't have like much ownership of anything in solo. So it can feel like, and especially if you have like an alpha player, that would, this would definitely be a game that could be potentially problematic with that. You meant in because... co-op because in solo you have all the ownership. No, no, I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, in co-op, <laughs> I mean, yeah, so my, my point is the co-op stuff, but yeah. It does have that potential issue, but it's it's still good fun. And again, with like kids, family, which is what what I bought it for playing, what I think most people are going to buy it for playing, I think it's very solid. By the way, I love how Brian's out here keeps just like quoting Princess Bride over and over, which is amazing. Because well, and is, Matthew, I think they both are. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of going back and forth on it. But uh, I mean, Matthew's making other comments. Brian is literally just coming in with Princess Bride quotes over and over. So we appreciate all the feedback and you keeping us entertained <laughs> as we record this one. Princess Bride, by far my favorite movie of all time. So uh, it always makes me happy when there are other people that geek out about it as well. So my number three is the the plot turn or the AI flip or whatever you want to call it. Basically, again, it's a deck of cards numbered 1 to 15. You flip it over and it'll say, like, in this mission, card number 15 does this or card number 1 does this. Like, it may put a web down if you're in Shalab's Lair, like in one in space one or space five, or it might put it in Frodo's place uh, or, or whatever else. You're laughing at me. Did I, did I pronounce her name wrong? It was a little weird. Usually people say Shelob. Like Shelob. Emphasis on the she. You were like Shalab, and I was like, Sh- "Is that like? Is that like a new kebab?" Shalab. Shalab. <laughs> I don't know. Like, but continue, continue. Plot cards. I, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the plot cards again. For it's such an ingenious system. It, it, and it's a little different from game to game. I mean, the chart's the same, but in the Princess Bride one, it's right in the book. In Lord of the Rings one, it's a separate card. I actually like it better as a separate card, only because they put the setup in the book in the space where that used to be, and you don't have to go back to the rule book at all. I mean, this is a game, you know, that the actions and everything you're doing is so simple, str- so straightforward. And the one thing I'm most impressed with, I didn't really have rules questions. And they even had an FAQ for certain ones, and I did look at it every once in a while in, in the rule book. But, I mean, it was exactly what I would have guessed it would have been, is the mm. answer. It's like, how do you know where you're in Shelob's lair? Well, when you pass the main gate, right? Like, it's like, okay, all right, that makes sense. And this AI card flip, this plot flip, goes right along with that. It's very self-explanatory. It's like, put an orc on space one, or add two orcs, or add three orcs, or whatever. It's all very straightforward, and it's controlled in a very easy deck that is universal, from can be universally used from mission to mission. I don't know. I think it's just really genius how they did that, and still made every mission feel unique. So for me, the AI deck, the plot step, is just really cool. I love how they did that. Matthew just said, she love is a considerate lover. She constantly wants to keep me wrapped up and warm. I don't know if that's what she's doing, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> she stuck you with the poison. It made me feel all warm inside. <laughs> I mean, there was like a weird romantic thing in the Silmarillion between Ungoliant or Ungoliant, who was uh, she loves like mother, basically, and Morgoth. They had like some like weird kind of thing. <laughs> It's like it's like a de- demon god of darkness and spider of of shadow 
making babies. That, making that's a the starting point. That's what they made. That's, that's right, making a Sheila. There you go. <laughs> but uh, my number two, uh, very related to what you just said, Peter. I said it was the scenario design and the plot deck. And there's another mix for me on the pro side. Totally what you said. I think they did a nice job of making the scenarios very straightforward to play, but having nice variety between them. I think the plot deck does its very simple thing. This is like, you know, making fires like in pandemic style a lot of the time. We're like moving something like further along that you got to race, but uh, it tends to vary game to game. But again, very few to almost no rules questions. I think it's a smooth, nice way to kind of have the, the opposing force in the cooperative system. On the negative side, I do think the scenario design is pretty hit or miss. I tended to like it more consistently in Lord of the Rings, but they both have scenarios that are kind of trashy. But basically what I mean is some are way more linear. We played through, for example, the Princess Bride one two or three times as a family, but there were some scenarios where we're like, well, this is going to be boring because we know exactly what's going to happen again. So like good example is the, the third Princess Bride one. You're climbing the Cliffs of Insanity, fighting Inigo, uh, wrestling with Fezzik, outwitting Vizzini, going to the fire swamps. Cool. Uh, or maybe that's the second. No, it's the third scenario. Oh, there must be six scenarios in the Princess Bride. I think there is five six. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, there's definitely six. But yeah, so that one, it's literally a track. So there's like basically no choice in movement whatsoever. And it's literally just the luck of the draw. Do you get the correct icons when you need them or not? It couldn't be the easiest scenario. It can be the hardest scenario. That one's like a complete failure of design, in my opinion. Like there's nothing interesting about it. Once you play it once, you never need to play it again. It's basically skippable. And there are... Settle down, there are el- buddy. Oh, shut up. <laughs> there are elements of that in some other scenarios, but it's pretty rare. Generally, they did a pretty good job. So again, like it's kind of a mix for me, but for a lightweight game, I'm generally impressed by the variety they managed to put into like this very simple system. All right. They're literally just making jokes that entertain themselves I, out there. I, I, I see it. <laughs> Brian says, I hear Shalab has, Shilab has her own website. Shalab. Oh, Shalab. You know what it really sounds like? Uh, there, there's things called shillelies. You ever heard of shillelie? Isn't that an instrument? No, so a shillelagh is a uh, like a walking stick that could also be used as a cudgel in like ancient Ireland. Okay, I'm um, well, not ancient; they still have them. Yeah, so sh- shalab shillelagh. I'm just kind of thinking I'm in Ireland for a second. Nice. All right, so my number two is that every mission is a unique puzzle, and that's a lot of what you were talking about. Uh, every mission feels unique. I'm going to disagree with. You. I, I I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying that they're repeatable, or not not as repeatable because it's more linear. I don't know. I feel like every mission, I, Lord of the Rings is much better. It's oh well, yeah, yeah, that's as, what I'm saying. You, you're not going to argue for goes, that. You're not going to argue for that third mission of Princess Bride, are you? I mean, a, I still a, enjoyed playing it. Like, I don't know that I'd play it two or three times, but I don't know that I'd play any of these missions two or three times. I didn't find any of them that difficult, right? It's not well, that but, kind of but a the game. best ones. The best ones have like varying focuses, like like the the Casa Doom scenario for Lord of the Rings. Well, you got to kind of focus on Gandalf, but you got to kind of focus on getting Frodo along, but you got to kind of focus on killing the orcs, you know, and then you got to kind of focus on killing the troll. Like, there's some in in most of the scenarios, there's a nice separation of objectives. And then every once in a while, they just come out with ones like, and you just do this. And that's it, you know? And, and it's definitely more prevalent in Princess Bride, which we'll get into well, final sure. so I'll, I'll well, stop, I'll stop. Which was the first one. I the, the bigger problem I had with Princess Bride was the graphic design. I couldn't always tell what was a space and what was not a space. Oh, that's definitely true. <laughs> that, that was a common that was a common complaint. I think they did better with that. Much for better. Lord of the Rings. No, yeah. much better. Like Lord of the Rings, you could always well, at least I could always tell. And they always had like dotted lines between the spaces, so yeah, you knew how to yeah. travel between them. Yeah, no, Princess Bride was definitely 
the earlier version of this, I would hope that they would go back if they did a reprint of it and clarify some of that stuff. But I guess I would say the unique puzzle for each scenario, you're right. Some of them are much more unique than others, and some of them have you divide your attention in several different ways. I guess it's my number two point, so I should be arguing stronger for how good this is. But at the same time, I don't know. The unique part for me was that I was playing out these stories. So really didn't, you know, bother me even when the scenario was straightforward like that one. I don't know that I would say they're skippable. None of them are skippable because, again, I don't think there's definitely different degrees of difficulty, but I still found them Mm. all fairly straightforward and fairly easy. I don't know, but maybe it's also because we've played a lot of cooperative games as well. So that might be a jaded thing where, like, none of the missions seemed that hard to me, so it didn't bother me if it was linear because, like, I don't know. I just kind of figured out what to do anyway. (laughs) Like, it it always seemed straightforward to me what I should be focused on. Um, Mm. But in the same way, like, I enjoyed playing and I enjoyed doing the puzzles. So, um, yeah, so my number two, unique puzzles, unique missions, whatever you want to call them. All right, Mike, what's your number one? Uh, it's another mix, and that's just kind of like the basic, what you're actually doing on your turn, the card playing, the movement. Um, and I think it goes from a mix to a full pro if you're playing with like younger gamers or like with families, because there's not that much to think about <laughs> in the card play. The thing that I do think is really cool is that you can discard cards to get extra movement, and that is an interesting choice. And then like also, when do you trade? Like when do you save cards for like an upcoming mission, but you're not on it yet? I think there are some cool things there. And this might be a, almost all the way up to a full pro with the Lord of the Rings because of the exact same thing Peter mentioned. I think the one ring cards drastically make the system more interesting <laughs> than it is in the Princess Bride. But yeah, at the same time, there's a lot of card luck in what you draw. Sometimes you're just like kind of waiting for cards to come out. And as we talked about in our uh, Putting Out Fire podcast episode on uh, Ares Expedition, I don't like it when you're like literally just like at the kind of behest of the cards. You're just waiting until the right icon comes out now. It's not too common, and again, even less common in Lord of the Rings because you got the wilds. But yeah, the card play is fine. The course that you do on your turn is fine. It's very quick. It gets out of your way. You tend to be involved with the other players and talking. The plot card takes like 10 seconds to resolve or less. So yeah, generally, it's good. It's it's the exact thing it needs to be for the wait. But at the same time, it's not really that (laughs) interesting or deep. And that's fine. I don't think it should be. Yeah, my number one is the teamwork. I, I know a couple of people have been talking about the solo out there, and I'll talk about the solo as well, because Lord of the Rings I played through almost exclusively as a solo game. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the missions I did solo there, and I think the solo system works well there. So in Lord of the Rings, you have a, de- a hand of six cards that you can just freely trade with throughout the course, or what I called them the one ring holders. <laughs> I would just keep trading my one rings over there. Uh, so I, I would like to play through Lord of the Rings again as a cooperative game because I do think it might be harder because you have to use those one rings. You can't just like, you know, you don't have a hand of six cards that you could just like, you know, pass them off to um, throughout the course of the game. But I actually think the teamwork's pretty good because, as Mike kind of pointed out earlier, you're not only thinking about what you need to do on this turn, but you really are thinking two or three turns ahead. It's almost chess-like in that way. It's like, okay. Do not call it chess-like. <laughs> Give me a break. Simmer down there, Mike. The fact that you have to remember that you might want to use that card that is obviously for the next quest a couple turns later does not make it chess-like. <laughs> no, but like if I have to trade with like the second player or the third player, I'll go, okay, like do we think we can get there by your turn no let's go ahead and be safe and put it over here like there is a lot of uh, at least for me forward thinking or like okay 
will be able to get to this spot on the next turn. You need green and red. Do you have either of those? No. Okay. Well, I got a green I can get to. And then the third player is like, okay, I got a red. All right. Well, while it's my turn, I'll trade you the green on my turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next person can trade red. So I do think they're, especially in cooperative, there's a lot of like, you have to do forward thinking because you only get that one card trade a turn. And mm. as simple as that sounds, it really does lead to, to me, most of the strategy in the game. You're just trying to get the cards in the right spot, but it's how you do it, which to me is the interesting puzzle. So for me, my number one is a teamwork, and I do think it plays well solo too, being able to trade with that AI deck. It's a little less because you're not really thinking that many steps ahead. You might be like, all right, I need a green and a red next turn. I have none of them. Let me get the green one this turn. I'll get the red one next turn. The puzzle isn't as fun for me in solo, but again, the gameplay I still had a lot of fun with as far as like, again, just reliving the story. And that kind of goes into my final thoughts. I'll just finish off here. I feel like if you love the IPs, you're going to really like the games. It's going to bring you back. It's, I mean, it's to your number four point, Mike. It brings you back to those moments. But if you don't have those moments in your brain, I don't know if you're going to like it. Like the gameplay is yeah. not – I don't know that there's enough there as a game that if you don't love the IP that you're going to love it. I mean, it's it's funny because in the original Princess Bride game, they had like the names of all the characters stamped on the bases. You couldn't really read them or see them anyway. But at least like if you didn't know who they were, it'd be kind of easier to figure it out. They don't even bother in Lord of the Rings. They're, like forget which it. I find incredibly frustrating because those hobbits all look the same. Like that's super yes. annoying to me. Oh, I just remembered <laughs> Mary is yellow because he's Mary. Like I think of yellow as a Mary color. Like Frodo's obvious. He's the one with the dagger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fr- Frodo's obvious. The other three are uh, the annoying ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I actually had Samwise wrong for a very long time. I think I was using the red one for him, but whatever. He's the green one. I figured it out. I mean, 90% of the time, it doesn't matter anyway. And if there is a mission that it does matter for, you just pull out the rule book like, oh, yeah, I need to get the yellow one over here. Uh, the, the yellow hobbit, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I think if you are a fan of the movies, these are just super fun to do, especially if you got kids whatever like for me my kids like princess bride but not as much as i do but playing the game they were quoting the movie and it's like maybe you like the movie more than you think you did right (laughs) like and so my daughter wanted to watch the movie again afterwards so it, it evokes the movies very well. I think they do a great job of doing that. If you have nostalgia for them, I think you're going to love these games. They're not going to be the deepest thing in the world. If you're looking for a strategic puzzle that's going to burn your brain and like be really challenging, there's no way to vary difficulty at all. There's really not much, you know, as far as that goes. It's not that type of game. It is a game where you're living the story. And if you like the IPs, I think you'll love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with all of that. I would say, like, I think the Princess Bride is not as good as the Lord of the Rings in, like, the scenario design and that kind of stuff. It does, like, kind of show that it was the first iteration of the system. Yep, I agree. So if, like, I love the Princess Bride. If I didn't have kids to play with or, like, my wife, who's a more casual gamer to play with, I would never buy that one. Like, I don't, personally, I don't think there's enough there, even if you like the Princess Bride, for, like, a solo gamer to be interested in more than one play now, although it's super cheap. So may- maybe it's still worth it. Just even if you're going to play it a few times, the Lord of the Rings one, there might be enough meat there, but there might be enough consistency and kind of the fun that even if you don't have like lighter gamers or a family to play with, that it might be worth it. Interestingly, Peter, you reminded me why I ended up not liking the official solo mode for Lord of the Rings. So I ended up for both ones when I was playing solo, just two handing it. And I found that much more fun 
because I didn't like that, as you said, in the tr- in the uh, official solo for Lord of the Rings, you just basically have like a ring holder. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> um, I, I found having to actually grapple with those and like balance them in your play between two hands or three hands or like, you know, even if you're playing solo, I found that to be more interesting. But yeah, I think they're, they're a fun experience. The price is right. You know, you can pass them on to somebody else after you're done. I do think the Lord of the Rings is definitely the better one to go for, but... My kids were certainly more into the Princess Bride. Like they've seen Lord of the Rings movies a little bit. We've read like some of the Hobbit to them and stuff, but they just don't have the kind of like passion for that one as much. And also, I mean, I don't think the Lord of the Rings leans into that fun element as much, which makes sense because the Princess Bride is clearly a much more like kind of whimsical IP. Uh, but like the Princess Bride one has those fun quotes like on the quest and on the cards, and it's such a quotable movie. Lord of the Rings, like they have quotes, but it's like you know, except for some of them, like "You shall not pass." It's like, hey, look. A path to mushrooms. It's like, well, I get that because <laughs> I've read right. all the books like 50 times, but my kids don't give a crap. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think Princess Bride, definitely the better family one. But if you like care at all about like somewhat deep gaming, Lord of the Rings is by far the way to go. Yeah. And Brian agrees with us. He says, I think Lord of the Rings improves this. Excuse me. <laughs> I lost my breath. Uh, improves this on the system. Uh, it'll work well for the other IPs as well. And then Brian also says, my issue is that the solo mode in the Princess Bride. So I don't even remember. I didn't play Princess Bride solo, but it works. I think fine. it's just multi-handing. Okay, I don't remember anymore. But either way, yeah, it's whatever. For anybody, you can try out the solo mode from the Lord of the Rings. You can even back map it to the Princess Bride. But personally, I I think dump, uh, dual handing for solo is better. I think it I think it better shows what what mechanical intrigue is there. Like Peter was mentioning, the trading between hands is kind of the more interesting part. So I personally uh, like that. So Matthew asked, the first time we played Lord of the Ring, we had our, or I'm sorry, Princess Bride, we had our cards face up. Do you recommend it for Lord of the Rings as well? I always played cards face up on the table, honestly. Yes, it could lead more to alpha gaming, but at the same time, I mean, it is what it is. It's kind of a lighter game. I mean, I, I would say if you do it for Pandemic, you should do it here too. If you don't want to, maybe it's a little more deep and strategic, but it also makes it take longer, right? Because you're just like, do you have a green card? How about you? Do you, you know what I mean? It's like, anybody ever agree? I, I mean, here's, here's my big thing. Like a, a quick litmus test for whether you are alpha gaming and don't realize it. If you check yourself during a turn and you realize you're like, hey, you're going to be that green card. And then I'm going to give you that yellow card. And you're like pointing at everybody's cards and just talking for them. Maybe put your cards back in your hand because you're probably alpha gaming and you're probably taking away some of the potential cooperative fun of the game. So yes. if that's happening, I would uh, keep your hands in your hands but if you yeah if you're all just looking at the cards and kind of discussing them together if that's the cooperative vibe you have at your table no problem having them face up and certainly for the learning game i did face up but i had to bite my tongue to make sure to let them actually play which is you know a common challenge when you have games that are potentially alpha alpha problematic and uh brian says sometimes you feel like the princess bride sometimes you feel like mage knight (laughs) <laughs> very different the, the only the only options the only <laughs> nothing in between nothing at all all right so i think that's a good discussion of the storybook games i think you'll know from that discussion whether they're for you or not if you don't like either of the ips i would say steer clear i don't think you're gonna love it for the gameplay if you do like it i think you will enjoy it just don't expect something too heavy yeah and, and if you want to see i didn't do a video for princess bride but i did uh the first three scenarios i think it is up to casa doom all in one play video because they're so quick so you can go on the main channel and see it in action if you want to kind of get a feel for the 
the strategy. And I think in that one, Peter, even the same thing I was saying, I think I played the first and maybe the second scenario with the official solo. And then I was like, this is stupid. And I switched to like dual handed for the third uh, solo scenario. I only played the official way. Now I want to go back and play it again. And that's the other thing. The way I was originally describing it to Steve, because he asked me about it earlier, is I was like, yeah, it's kind of like an unlock game or whatever else. Once you played through it, you've played through it. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, no, I do kind of want to play through it again, trying it two-handed or multiplayer, because I do feel like that one solo rule like sucked up all the rings and like yeah. made, it, made mean, it a little it, less challenging. Yeah, I, I actually think that solo official solo mode would work better for Princess Bride because it didn't have the ring thing. So it'd be more of like a steady like trading of like icons and stuff. By the way, Brian says he has uh, his own solo variant. I have one hand of six cards, hand limit eight. And instead of trading, I can one time discard and pick up a, a new card per turn. The one part I, I got to say, Brian, the one part that I, I know would be a deal breaker for me and your variant is the game is already a little swingy with which cards come out. Yeah. And at least with trading, you have like six cards or whatever, or like some larger number of cards to like see and pick between. The idea that if I'm waiting for a specific card to beat a mission and I got to go one card at a time, th- that would not work for me at all. But if it works for you, more power to you. <laughs> it's just uh, going to be taste with different solo variants. Yeah. All right, Mike. So let's talk about IPs. Did they just slap these IPs on? Not just this game, but we'll, we'll start with these games. Did they just slap these IPs on and just like to go for a cash grab? Or or like would these games not survive without their IPs? What do you think? Well, I think those are two different questions and, and they're both worth discussing. Okay. Because no, I don't feel like these games slap the IPs on. I feel yeah. like there was some love in, and clearly like, I mean, it's not hard to be a Princess Bride fan or a Lord of the Rings fan. It's not like they're getting like niche with their fandoms here. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you could probably throw a rock. What's and next? Firefly? Will be... <laughs> yeah, exactly. But still like, you know, they got the quotes. They clearly either knew it already or did their homework, you know, and they got like the core moments and they got all the characters you care about and then they got good art for it. And they, and again, they like paid homages to the, uh, to the like look of the, the original things. They even got little miniatures of every character. Now don't get me wrong. These are not like high quality GW miniatures here, but for the price you're paying, like, what was it? 25 bucks or whatever. You're getting miniatures and they look at least resemble the characters, so yeah. All right, Peter, let's go. Which Hobbit is which? Pop quiz. Uh, yellow is Mary. Green is uh, is Sam. I think uh, that's Sam. Fro- Frodo's red. And uh, hey, Frodo's red? Isn't no, blue no, red no, no. Sting? Blue. I mean, sorry, blue isn't blue is Frodo. Frodo with... Yeah, blue is with Frodo, Sting. yeah, yeah. And red is uh, Pippin. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Oh, I'm definitely <laughs> right. So red's Pippin, yellow's Mary, green is Sam, and blue is Frodo. Geez, Ryan just joined the quoting thing. Like, totally apropos of nothing you said when his head comes into view, hit it with the rock! <laughs> um, sorry, it's my Wallace Shawn impression. My way's not uh, very sportsman-like. <laughs> that's right. Do it your uh, way! What's my way? <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, so I think there was some love here, and like, the themes come to life, and like you said, you are quoting the movies and remembering the books, like, as you play. So I think that shows that it's not just a slapped on theme. It's not just, it's not like they took Uno, but the cards had Frodo on them. You know what I mean? Like it, it is a meaningful integration of theme. But they now, have done that. Now at the that. same time. Right? Not of in course they games, have done that. But, but they're Monopoly that, games. That's a separate, discussion. hold on. I'm, try, okay. I'm trying to All finish. Right. All right, go but ahead. I think it's a different thing of whether or not like this game would sell without the IP and whether or not they were trying to get money with the IP. Of course, 
you know, both those things can be true at the same time. These games would be totally nothing if it was like an, a, a vague abstract theme. Even if it was like a generic fantasy theme, I think the mechanics would probably be a little bit too light yep. for people to really pay any attention to them. But you get some good integration. You get some good nostalgia with these specific famous popular IPs people have very strong positive feelings towards and I think it's a good marriage and, and marriage. Like 20 bucks if, if this was <laughs> <laughs> it's what brings us if this, if this was a hundred and twenty dollar Simon game a lot of people would buy it I would not you know just like I yes. didn't buy like the like I like Scooby-Doo I, I didn't buy the hundred however much it ended up being for the all-in a Scooby-Doo game with like actual mystery machine mini I don't give a crap about that but this kind of thing you know at this price I think it's it's a cash grab, but it's like a, a thoughtful cash grab. It's like it's like they're they're politely asking you for your money. You know, let me ask you, you a- though: Would you buy this game again if you didn't own it and you had the money back? Would you buy it again? Yeah, for both of them, I would buy them both again. Yeah, and because my I kids agree. had a blast with with Princess Bride. Well, you didn't buy either of them, so you don't know. I agree <laughs> that that I'd be happy for you to buy them again. Oh well, yes, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Like my kids and my wife had a fun enough time with Princess Bride. It got us to watch the movie a couple more times. My kids would probably play it again once I get it back. Yeah, P- Peter's been borrowing both of these for like three months or something. <laughs> but if I, you know, I'd play it again once I get it back. And the Lord of the Rings one, I think there's enough going on that it's interesting. And, and I, I actually didn't get to the final scenario, so I want to like play through the whole thing. I haven't done that with my kids yet. So especially at the cheap price point, I'm 100% fine with having bought them. And I recommend them to others in a similar situation to me, like with families and such. But I think that says something, right? Because you and I are gamer gamers. You know, you have to be a gamer gamer, quote unquote, to do a podcast about games every other week, right? You have to be a gamer gamer to make all the videos that we have. We like games where you have to really think and it's very puzzly and this and that. And this game's none of that. But yet the theme is so strong in here. And I, I, I guess that's where I'm coming to with these like movie tie-in games. If you're just throwing a Monopoly game out there and you have just the quotes, like fan service or whatever, it's not enough. Like if you're going to do a game, even if they don't have the best mechanics in the world, if you do the theme right, I think you're going to make a lot of fans of your game. And especially because they it's so light and so easy to get to the table and it doesn't take too long, right? If this game took an hour to play each mission, I'd feel very different about it, but it doesn't. So yeah, I, f- I feel like they hit a lot of right notes with this game. And I think that is a-, a lesson for me in IP games. Like you don't want it to overstay its welcome. You want to do fan service to the people and keep it the fun parts, the fun parts, which is getting to the next quote, getting to the next plot point in the adventure, bringing back that nostalgia. I think all that is important to a good IP game. Yeah, no. And well, by the way, we got a lot of things in the chat. Uh, Brian Skolik asked if this is a kissing podcast. Definitely. <laughs> and that's actually uh once up call shop after hours. Uh, wait for the good stuff. We'll be right um, back. and then matthew was talking about an edward scissorhands game i love that movie too that'd be very cool and uh tim burton classic is it quotable though like i don't remember any quotes or like major edward scissorhands i think is more i mean there are funny quotes in there i'm trying to remember moments are great and visually it's great you know yeah but yeah like like you're saying like kind of the accessibility of the ip and like the short play time the thing it stands out to the princess bride with me and and kind of goes again into that question of would i buy this again and I think I mentioned this on the podcast when I first got them a couple months ago or whatever. My son Harrison, two days in a row, this was like on a weekend or something, got up before I was awake, 
set up the game and played the entire thing solo, like scenario one to scenario six. And just so that never happens. What what age? (laughs) He's 10. But he's also he's been playing since he was like five or six. He plays Spirit Island with me and does fine with like basic spirits. So and, he, and he's a very good reader. So I'm not saying every 10 year old would be able to do the exact same thing I'm discussing right here. But it's awesome. You know, like he's no, but I like think I've that's gotten an into... important point, like the age, the age accessibility yeah. of the game, I think does go very low. There's not really reading too much, at least anyway, even if. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a fifth grader is going to be able to read, but like, but especially if you're there to run the game, like, like he he figured out all the like he played scenarios we hadn't played yet, and he's like, yeah, I read I read the rules, it was fine, <laughs> you know. I'm not expecting most kids to do that, sure. But yeah, if you're there to play, like, literally, the only reading they got to do that you can't handle for them might be like a special card they draw, and they've already seen it played at least once by the time that, that happens because it'll be in the deck from previously. So yeah, I, I think it's. I think it hits a really nice level. And you had mentioned like, you know, Monopoly theme paste ups. I had talked about Uno. I know Risk used to do like every theme they could find. Like I have a Lord of the Rings Risk. There you go. I, I had one too. Had and, is probably the key point. Yeah. And some do better than others. Like I remember there were different versions of Risk Lord of the Rings and some of them actually had like kind of cool extra rules and actually like did the map in kind of a fun way. And some of them didn't. A game that system that stands out to me is the Rising games. Uh, Thanos Rising, I think, was the first one. Yeah, but then they've had like Voldemort Rising, and now they have Fire Nation Rising for one of my favorite IPs, Avatar: The Last Airbender. But there, there is no there there. <laughs> no, they... except in recognizing characters, and and there's there's a value to that. I mean, I you know I said at the beginning I just got the the Star Wars deck building game from Fantasy Flight, and I'll be honest, I went through all the cards and I was like, hey. Jyn Erso. Hey, Han Solo. Oh, <laughs> you know, random Imperial guy that led the Walker invasion and in Empire Strikes Back. Like, I don't really care. And they have hey, two power there. and one buy cost. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> hey, there's, uh, you know, and then, then I was like, oh, they don't have this person. They don't have this person. So, like, there, there's a little bit of value there. Sure. But none of that and none of the play in a lot of those games makes me think anything about the movie. You sure. know what I mean? Or makes oh, me no, think anything about the book. Like, I don't, I don't play the, like the Han Solo card in a deck builder, you know, or really any of the games, even in like the old Star Wars FFG uh, LCG that I did enjoy. I don't play that and be like, never tell me the odds. Here's the, you know, because <laughs> first of all, those games tend to be competitive. And this is something I get into arguments with on the Discord a lot. Like pretty much every like adventure movie we watch or every like adventure book we read, except for something like Game of Thrones, that's actively pitting great characters against each other. Pretty much everything has an evil side and a good side. And there should be cooperative designs, you know, if you really want to, like, feel like you're in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, the second it's like, I'm, like, sending Boba Fett and I kill Han Solo, you know, the theme's dead for me at that point. You know what I mean? Well, I will say two of the best IP games of all time, though, are War of the Ring and Star Wars Rebellion. Yes. Now, that's true. And those both are competitive games and they feel very much like the movies although they both are on a macro scale yeah not a micro scale i feel like if you're playing as a character or you're zoomed in on the characters like star wars rebellion or not rebellion not rebellion uh star wars imperial assault well that one's weird because they like kind of went on their own stories with their own characters right so i don't know but yeah yeah, I was just, well, I was just uh, saying, I don't know that I get the same feeling out of that, like Star Wars-y feeling, especially because it came right after Descent and the mechanics are very similar. 
I didn't feel like it, it was like a Star Wars, Star Wars, movie, especially because they had to you balance know, the sides, right? Like, so a stormtrooper has to be as good as like Chewbacca or whatever. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> That's clearly not right. You know what I you mean? Know, you know what's interesting, Peter, is wouldn't you say the Princess Bride and the Lord of the Rings adventure book games are kind of on a macro level too? Because like, yeah, you're moving around in kind of like a micro way, but like really you're just doing like three big beats of the story in each sure. chapter. Yeah. So maybe there's something to that, you know, like the idea that if you zoom out enough to where like the broad strokes of like the movie or IP get to kind of show themselves, that's a more successful way potentially to like make an IP come through. Well, especially, you know, when you talk about like video game stuff, like a lot of people have tried to do like, okay, you move over here and you jump and you do whatever, like on side scrolling games and it just doesn't work. Right. (laughs) Oh my God. I remember in the old Star Wars games on the Super Nintendo. Those were something. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'm not even talking about the video games. I'm talking about the adaptations of stuff like that. Oh, where okay. You're trying to get too micro in the, oh, look, I can do that exact same action as the character can do or whatever. Now, there's games like Deep Rock that apparently do a very good job of that, sure. which is, again, we're talking about a different type of IP. It's a, a video game IP here. But you're doing a lot of similar actions. Uh, I think sometimes, though, when you try to replicate Something is when it goes awry a little bit more, right? I'm trying to make it exactly this, and, like, I'm trying to do the Kessel Run, and, like, you have to do point A and point B and point C. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's the zoom-out nature of, let's just go from point A to point C and, like, skip the boring stuff in the middle. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, if we're talking about IPs like Princess Bride, like Lord of the Rings, like a lot of those things, yes, we have thrilling combat scenes, obviously, like the the sword fight between Wesley and Inigo. But what really I think matters in a lot of cases is, like, the, the plot, you know, and, like, the character development and, like, the forward motion of, like, the major plot elements. And the second you, like, have a dungeon crawler... It's like I'm counting, and, and, and I, I like dungeon crawlers. I'm not trying to criticize like the genre of dungeon crawlers, but the second I'm like, all right, I'm gonna move Luke like 4.5 spaces so that I'm in range of my blaster, and now I'm gonna roll these three dice to shoot my blaster. And okay, I've done four damage to stormtrooper number one. Okay, now let me go to stormtrooper number two. You know, it's it's kind of like uh, comparing cinematic combat to like a round of D and D combat. <laughs> there are ways to make D and D combat cinematic sometimes, but what would be five seconds in a movie is like 30 minutes of gameplay time. You know what right. I mean? And, yes. and you've kind of lost the, 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 the story at that point. So yeah, I think in a way, like something like these games were like, you know, I've, I've gone through an entire 20 minute section of the movie, or I've gone through like five chapters of the book in a 15 minute scenario. That's got to keep it a similar pacing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of like, I like, you could probably play through all six scenarios of the princess bride. If you know the game, in close to the running time of The Princess Bride. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? Like in about two hours. Because I'm thinking about War of the Ring now and Star Wars Rebellion, and it's kind of the same thing. You're not right. doing the individual beats. When you're, the turns take longer, but they are a long period of time. You move the Death Star from one planet to another. That's not a hyper jump, like two second thing, right? So the game's more epic in nature and in scale. But the scale matches the scale of what you're doing because you're on this big space battle epic time frame and they don't have 50 of them, right? If you had to do like 50 space battles a turn, it's going to be very different than if you have like 10 in the entire game. So yeah, no, I, I think there's something to knowing your scale 
and maybe this is true for all game design. We hadn't, you know, this this IP nature of it is is led to this discussion. But I do wonder if the scale of what you're trying to do needs to match the scale of your game as well. Um, well, there's no need. But I think you're going to accomplish different things. And if you want to, like, hit the full nostalgia of your thing, I think a wider scale, a more, like, macro scale might help. Because, like, think of, like, War of the Ring, you know, which I do think I like that better than the Rebellion. I think it's one of the finest, like, thematic integrated games of all time. And I also love Lord of the Rings, so that helps. But, you know, you're playing a lot of the Lord of the Rings card game right now. If you compare that to War of the Ring, and, like, a lot of these times with these things, with War of the Ring, they don't have to introduce any random crap. Yes. They don't have to add any characters that you yes. never knew or cared about. <laughs> right, right. They don't have to be like, hey, you know, you know that orc chieftain? He had a name and it was Marbluck. <laughs> you're like, okay, great. You know, because like they could do like just the crazy stuff, like Battle of Pelennor Fields, Helm's Deep, Ents, Saruman, Bunch of Easterlings, Black Fleet, Dead Armies, Cats and Dogs, Living Together, Mass Hysteria. You know, they can just, like, get all the stuff that is most important, that most matters to, like, the story that you are familiar with, if that's what you're going for. Whereas, yeah, the second you're, like, in an Imperial Assault scenario, it's like, walk through five rooms of random hangar bay, shoot 15 stormtroopers. Now here's this Imperial officer, but we gave him a name because he's a boss. Right. You need to have a boss. You know, or, like, or, or uh, Lord of the Rings, the card game. Like I said, they'll be like, ah, here's here's a hill troll in the forest. Or, you know, even when it's like the IP ones, even when it's, uh, you know, the Hobbit uh, campaign, the race campaign. It's like we gave this guy a name, like technically that name's in the appendix somewhere. So it's real or it's not. And we made it up. But who cares? Because we needed more people in this one. And and now it's here. And you got to fight 20 orcs now. And Gimli died. But, you know, still, it's OK. Keep going because because the story is still going to come to life. You know, like the, the second that you like really zoom in and like turn it into like this more complex game for like each scenario just by nature of having to have enough stuff to kind of get through that, you, you, you fill in gaps that didn't need to be filled. And it, if I was watching it as a movie, it would become like a 20 hour movie. You know what I mean? If like all the, with all the stuff that's there. Well, and the more zoomed in you get and the more stuff you have for your game, the more weird situations can come up. Like I was playing with Steve, the base game of Lord of the Rings, the card game the other day. And like, I'm reading the story and it's like, you have to take a letter to Lady Galadriel and like, you know, go through this mission to do so. Well, Steve had Galadriel as one of his three heroes on his team. I'm like, I hey, guess Galadriel, we're... here's the letter. <laughs> That's what I was like. Yeah. I was like, did we win? Like, did we get, <laughs> like, don't open the letter till we get to your homeland. Like, like, just keep it, keep it bottled up. Like, <laughs> so, you know, well, you can and, and that's, some... that's, I think theme breaks. I think those games are better for oh, I'm sorry, Peter. Oh no, I was just saying I think you can get theme breaks because of that. And even Marvel Champions, one of the reasons Rado says he doesn't like the game anymore is because some of the things you do is go to alter ego form, right? But in some of the missions, you're like in the collector's prison, right? <laughs> but yet you're going to alter ego like, you don't know who I am. I'm Peter Parker now. <laughs> like, And Aunt May's baking you cookies, right? And you're healing <laughs> up. It's like, well, wait a minute, what? I, I thought I was in prison here. Like, what's going on? So as much as I love these games because of their gameplay, you do get, like, the more granular you try to get and the more wide and reaching you try to get with it, I think sometimes you do lose some theme when you do that as well. Yeah. But I was going to say, I think that also gives the possibility for more emergent storytelling and kind of, like, weird created narratives and memorable moments. Whereas War of the Ring has a little bit of that, for example. 
but Dale might get attacked when it wasn't attacked. Or like maybe the Dark Shadow player never invades Rohan, you know, or maybe this game they don't go through Moria. Like you do have sort of like those what if like kind of possibilities. But in the end, you're still getting like a lot of the same broad strokes. The event cards are what they are. They're going to like hit like the same core things. But then in the Lord of the Rings, the card game, you can have like a all Hobbit deck invading like Mordor, you know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> sneaking by every orc. And that that's kind of like, I know that's something that like draws uh, Steve to the game. And I think Terrence too, just like the ability to like build kind of wacky decks and do like weird things with scenarios. Well, which... Terrence, Terrence loves card play and deck building is part of that for him. So for him... It's not about the theme, I don't feel like, at all. I feel like it's more about the deck building and the card play from it. Steve, on the other hand, yeah, he likes to just make wacky well, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, By the way, M- Matthew Rose says that when I said ants, his uh, wife thought he said ants and started getting worried that they have ants in the house. So I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. But bl- blame the tree, people. Blame blame Tolkien. <laughs> ants in my pants. Ants in my pants. All I need is some ants in my pants. By the way, for the podcast, you need to now go to the YouTube video to watch Mike dance into my Ants in the Pants song. <laughs> On but that yeah. note, <laughs> are we? Are, are you, it sounded like you had something to say. Go ahead, Mike. Well, the last thing I was going to say, because like, you know, I think a final question is, is there any value to like literally being like, hey, it's Risk, but Lord of the Rings or hey, it's Uno, but Star Wars. I mean, people. And I would it. say a little bit because... I would rather look at characters I love rather than no characters at all, especially if it costs the same price. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Like if it's love letter or love letter, Batman, I guess I'll get love letter, Batman. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, why not? Maybe somebody else who likes the IP will be a little bit more likely to play with me, which is a key thing. I think with those IP grabs, you're going to get it off the shelf more often, especially if you have like family or friends who are into those IPs. But it could swing so. the other way too. So you do have to be careful. Cause like, let's say you love Batman, but I don't. And you bring out love letter Batman. I am less likely to like the game. If you bring out either of these games, Lord of the Rings or princess bride to somebody who doesn't like that IP, it's going to well, be an immediate turnoff. But Peter, you answered your own question there. Cause if somebody doesn't like Lord of the Rings or Batman or princess bride, why are they my friend? <laughs> I, was, I thought you were going to say that. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you don't know that. You, you don't even talk to them. You're like, hi, yeah, hi, my name's Mike. I like Lord of the Rings. That's like his his pick yeah. Like, line. like if somebody's like, oh, the Princess Bride. I don't like that. I'd be like, oh, look at the time. I'm sorry, we have to call this dinner short. Oh, you haven't eaten yet. I'm, I'm, we will only eat another time. Get out. Get out. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch Princess Bride. You. That's you right. live in your sad existence. Well, Not with- really, of course. We're totally fine with people liking whatever they want. They're just wrong. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. Good luck. I'm going to put a starting point <laughs> right as soon as I'm done this video. So let people yeah. know, and then it'll be edited within the next day. Um, for those of you on the podcast, you didn't get to live through all that exciting stuff. So um, good on you. Good on it's you for definitely waiting. exciting. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.
Hey, Mike. Yes. I don't even know you. You don't like Princess Bride? What's wrong with you? Get out of my house. Get, just go. As you wish.